Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Real GM Radio. I am Daniel Ware, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. My guest is the great Ben Golliver of the Washington Post, and we focus on the trade deadline. Lots of huge stuff, of course. The new look Phoenix Suns, Kevin Durant's whole arc, Irving, and the Mavericks. And then, as often happens, Ben pushed me in some really fun directions in terms of 2025 and moving forward. Apologies for, um, I, I inadvertently had the wrong mic selected, so it still sounds totally reasonable to me, but it's not as, my part is not as great as, hopefully you think it's great, as it usually is. Pod runs a little bit less than an hour and is brought to you by betonline.ag. Use the CLNS50 promo code to tell them you came from us, but more importantly, get yourself a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. And here we go. Thank you so much for coming on. It's my pleasure, Danny. I feel like it's been a while. What a perfect time to chat, though, man. Crazy trade deadline on Thursday. Uh, my head is still spinning. We got, you know, talk of power balance changing from the east to the west and a new contender crowned with the Phoenix Suns, all sorts of good stuff. Um, I bet you had a pretty fun Thursday, didn't you? I did, yeah. And and as a West Coaster like you at the moment, um, it was, you know, Wednesday night and Thursday. I'm, I'm sure there were people who woke up to a lot of the wildness there and, you really do have to start in Phoenix, and the sequence of events, you know, Madish Bia coming in, taking over as owner, it sounds like the Suns strengthening their offer, potentially Durant kind of nudging things along as well, and we have a different, a fascinating team, and the Suns being this incredibly talented team, also with some very specific flaws, in a Western conference full of teams like that is just so striking. Well, you know, we always talk about, like, presidents coming on and they have their first 100 days agenda. Talk about a first one-day agenda. Oh, I'm going to go grab Kevin Durant, right? I'm going to be the guy who, after months of rumors with the Suns and all this, Ishbia just comes in and says, all right, we're going to trade away almost a decade worth of picks. We are going to trade away a guy in Mikhail Bridges who feels like he's a fan favorite. He was going to be, you know, he had that feeling of a guy who could be like a lifelong Sun player. And we are going to, you know, roll the dice on one of the top 15 or 20 players of all time who definitely still has a lot left in the tank, who at the same time has faced consistent health concerns ever since the 2019 finals uh, with the Achilles injury and a guy who's coming out of, um, you know, a complete disaster in Brooklyn looking for a fresh start with a personality that's almost like an ideal match for the main characters there 
in Phoenix, whether it's Monty Williams, Devin Booker, or Chris Paul. I mean, Kevin Durant has just been screaming to anybody who would listen over these last couple of months that he wants to have a life that's, uh, you know, all about basketball, no distractions, no drama. And of course he does, because that's who he's been his entire career uh, for the most part. And um, that's not who the Nets and Kyrie Irving have been for these last couple of years. Uh, Now he's going to get that opportunity in Phoenix. You know, even when they made the 2021 finals, I mean, these guys were like intentionally boring in all of their press conferences, right? Like they, they're, they're just trying to hoop and go home and have a good time. I think Chris Paul one time said, uh, you know, there's not a lot to do in Phoenix. We go bowling. Uh, you know, that's about it. Uh, you know, golfing, uh, that's sort of, uh, the lifestyle down there. And I think that Kevin Durant's going to be from a culture standpoint, a perfect fit. I also think he's going to be a uh, perfect fit from a basketball standpoint. It reminds me a little bit of the upgrade from Harrison Barnes to Kevin Durant with the Warriors. You're going from Bridges to Durant. You know, they're both long, athletic, versatile forwards, but one of them happens to be able to score from basically anyone uh, anywhere inside a half court, has an incredible handle, uh, you know, is capable of uh, shifting up and playing, you know, the four and five on defense. And the other one's just a more traditional, uh, you know, three and D type, uh, you know, wing and bridges with a a little bit more added offensive game. So it's a a clean fit positionally, a massive upgrade there. It's going to make Chris Paul's life a lot easier. He could just be a a straight distributor now. It's going to turn Devin Booker into like, you know, probably the most lethal number two scorer um, in the entire league. And it's going to give Kevin Durant a chance to tell a new story that's not about dysfunction and personality conflicts and poor decisions in terms of leaving the Warriors to join the Nets. Uh, It's going to really give him uh, a, a completely new basketball life. I'm extremely excited to see what this Suns team looks like. And offensively, as you mentioned, it is an absolutely perfect fit. And and what I think needs to be emphasized here is that I so Nate and I, when we were talking about it, we did this off the cuff, but like kind of thought about it a little bit more. This is the most impactful from one side, at least in season trade in the history of the NBA, because Kevin Durant like, you know, we, we think about those other mega deals, you know, like Paul George or Anthony Davis and all that. Those are all in the offseason. Like, this is something distinct, something fundamentally different, is that part of the reason that's the case is Kem Durant is playing at an all-NBA, arguably an MVP level when he's been available. And those that type of talent doesn't get moved in season. As great as James Harden has been at times, he wasn't moved when he was this level of player. He was a little bit below that. And... For the Suns, that means that your world is fundamentally different. That means that you can be competitive in a way. And when I bring up that Durant is playing at that kind of level, there are some players who are that good whose games are worse or different in the playoffs when you get superior opposition and scouting and all that. Nope, Grant's game is still awesome. And I mean, if I think back a lot to that series against the Bucks, which was decided by his shoes being, I mean, in part by his shoes being a little bit, a little bit bigger than they need to be for that one shot. And so for Durant, I mean, that's that one thing we know, and you and I have talked about this a lot over the years, both on this show and elsewhere, is that stars shift everything for everyone. And so you brought up how it changes things for Chris Paul. It also does for DeAndre Ayton, where Ayton now, he's going to be a lower level option, but he's also going to have better opportunities, I would expect. And it also should clarify his defensive role too, which I think could be very good for him. And also that gives you more information about how much you want to have DeAndre Ayton beyond this year, because that's the, you know, the Suns have this, the window is narrow, but the narrow does not mean they are stuck with this roster no matter what. Season trade ever. A great 
prism to look at that is the playoff matchup game, right? Because oh, the matchups always start with who's the best player in the series, right? So if you're looking at Phoenix right now, and, you know, Booker hasn't really been healthy, you know, for a little bit. He's back. Chris Paul is not nearly who he was a couple of years ago. If Phoenix is going into a first-round series, I think as analysts, we're starting those conversations usually with someone on the other team, right? So if they were to draw Denver, we're starting the matchup conversation with Jokic and how do they handle Jokic? Can they do what they did against him a couple years ago again, right? If they're going against, uh, you know, Memphis, we might even start that conversation with John Morant just because of his consistency, uh, the fact that they won a series last year, he's getting down, uh, you know, he's, he's getting um, downhill to the rim. How does Phoenix deal with John Morant? The conversation now is how does everybody else deal with Kevin Durant, right? And you're looking at these top seeds in the West. Uh, you know, no offense, Aaron Gordon. You know, no offense, Michael Porter Jr. Good luck, right? You look at Memphis's guys. Well, your choice is to try to go smaller with a Dylan Brooks, or maybe you go with Jaron Jackson Jr. and hope he can stay out of foul trouble. Either way, that's a tough cover for whoever's dealing with Kevin Durant. You look at the Sacramento Kings, you know, based on their seating right now, I mean, Harrison Barnes, Keegan Murray, that's going to be a long two weeks if you have to deal with Kevin Durant, right? So that is really the, the best way to look at it. And I think the one team who might be able to say, well, we've got a better player than KD at this stage would be the Golden State Warriors. But, you know, Curry's got to get back healthy. He's got to ramp up to 100% in time for the real playoffs like he did last year. And, uh, you know, individually, I think you like the collective IQ and experience of uh, you know, Andrew Wiggins, Draymond Green, and even Andre Iguodala in that matchup, but they're still not, you know, a, a great individual option uh, against KD if the Warriors were to face the Suns as well. So I think that might be the clearest way where we could, um, you know, have that uh, particular conversation in terms of what KD's impact is um, on the landscape this year. But you raise good questions in terms of will DeAndre Ayton be happy eating like, you know, fourth on this team or, or third on this team when you're going to have two really high usage players in Booker and uh, and Kevin Durant? Will he be comfortable just being the energy hustle rebound defense center who's, you know, scoring only in limited uh, opportunities? Uh, you know, his numbers are going to take a hit. I don't see any way around that. And he's already coming in with sort of some of the baggage of is he happy? Does he want to be there? Would he have preferred to be traded? And then I think the other thing to watch longer term is Chris Paul because he's at a different stage of his career than Kevin Durant. You know, Kevin Durant and Booker are not ideally aligned from an age perspective, but those two guys together should have a nice three-year window here, right? Chris Paul doesn't have a three-year window to be, uh, you know, alongside these guys given the size of his contract. So does he get traded this summer? You break up his salary slot to get a couple of rotation players to fill things out. Uh, You know, how Chris Paul holds up this postseason from a health standpoint and from a game standpoint is the number one thing I'm going to be watching because uh, as weird as it sounds he went from being their best player to me in the 2021 season to now being like borderline expendable as you're going forward into next year I've noticed it even more on the defensive end than the offensive end where Chris Paul long-standing one of the best defenders in the league from the guard position and he still has those reputational benefits but I'm seeing a lot more opposing guards drive past him and get into the teeth of the defense and that maybe be you know being being deeper into the season if if he was dealing with some health issues in the off season that helps i'm not all the way sure chris paul you know this is age 37 season so generally speaking you don't think that you guys can bounce back but will they bounce all the way back and this gives him a lot more latitude offensively for sure and the guy that we haven't emphasized on that front as much is booker and so you brought up how all these teams are going to have to figure out their battle plans and what they're going to do for durant 
necessarily that means that Devin Booker is going to get an easier an easier time because most teams don't have the luxury of two high level perimeter defenders. And even though the ideal Durant defender and the ideal Booker defender do not have the same attributes, broadly speaking, teams don't have guys to handle both. And so the pick your poison element of the Suns could end up being extremely dangerous in the playoffs. Well, yeah, and you could also just keep one of those guys on the court at all times, right? So you're never going through the low where you don't have an elite individual scorer and like lead kind of playmaking type option. And that's, you know, always huge. You're not, you're not going through those six minute stretches where you're just trying to hang on. They're not going to have that problem. The funniest thing is that Booker, you know, remember the, the old video where he's complaining about the double teams during the offseason? That video really stuck to him, you know, because he's just trying to play pickup and, every, and he's, he's whining that they're double teaming him. He doesn't have to worry about the double teams anymore, Danny. Like, no. they're coming. You know, he, he's going to be in isolation cooking a lot in this postseason. And so I think he's going to be really comfortable. He's a huge beneficiary of this move. And I, I just think that Booker, in particular, represents a lot of the things that Kevin Durant thought Kyrie Irving would represent, right? Kyrie, you know, in, in Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving's idea, they were these basketball craftsmen who were going to be able to educate the next generation about kind of the right way to play and, and mixing showmanship with craft and technique and high efficiency and all this kind of stuff and Kyrie just got in his own way you know he was those things at certain points but he couldn't do it consistently he didn't have um, the level of personal discipline and focus to be able to be that guy night in and night out uh, because of all the distractions Booker is exactly that guy you know Mm -hmm. when he's healthy he's one of the most consistent performers in the NBA he might you know date celebrities and all that stuff but he is you know kind of an old soul basketball first type of guy clearly he has a bond with KD from the their USA basketball experience. And I think this is going to be a really functional partnership for Kevin Durant where, um, you know, he gets to be the alpha. It's not like he has to share the stage with Steph Curry. He's not joining, you know, a Warriors team where Steph Curry is like a demigod. Uh, you know, he's, he's going to have the opportunity to be the face of the organization and also in a really functional partnership with a, a younger guy who represents a lot of the same values that Kevin Durant strive for. First thing, Team USA strikes again. You know, we, there are so many oh, of yeah. these over the over the modern vintage. I mean, the first one that I go back to is the Miami trio, but you can point to a lot of them over the last two decades. And that's a it's a it's a fascinating through line of a lot of these pairings is like remembering that these players have connections, not only through Team USA, but through all these other means. And so on Danny, on that point, though, don't forget, there was a lot of quality time in Tokyo because those guys couldn't do anything else, right? Right. So it's a great point. Anytime you want to spend in the gym or bond and playing cards or whatever else, like they, they could hardly go to any of the other events. You know, they were pretty much, and I, I was in lockdown too at the Tokyo right. Olympics. Those three weeks felt like six weeks, eight <laughs> weeks, nine weeks. And so, uh, you know, that's it's an even more unusual uh, circumstance for those bonds to get formed. Well, Ben, what would you know about the being confined in a space with with people (laughs) for a sporting event and all that? It's... Yeah, it's it's it's. Yeah, well, it wasn't it wasn't as long as the bubble, but in some ways it was as challenging because you're dealing yeah. with you know uh, culture differences. You're dealing with you know fish out of water feelings, uh, massive empty arenas that are just every single game. It reminds you that this is not a normal uh, event. You know there was a lot of stuff you know to process, and they came through as uh, as gold medalists largely because of Kevin Durant. And uh, I think that the respect factor he earned from his teammates during that run uh, and from the coaching staff, frankly, I mean Pop could not say enough good things about Kevin Durant. Um, I don't think that got talked in, uh, talked up enough back here stateside because 
you know, the Olympics didn't feel like a normal Olympics, but that's one of, you know, the best moments of Kevin Durant's career. And I'm glad that he has a new partnership in Devin Booker to kind of show for that, right? It was a real sacrifice for those guys to go over there. You also think about the elements of Booker's progression. I mean, he had, he's had good off-ball stuff at different moments in his career, then got a ton of on-ball reps, especially on bad Suns teams, and then kind of gets into the perfect role where he can be running the, running the show a fair amount, but also has the, not only, as you mentioned, the skills, but the mentality to work as a complementary player, to run around screens, to make opponents work in transition. And so I think that's going to work incredibly well. My concerns with the Suns, one, defense. I mean, they're the defensive foundation here. As much credit as Durant deserves for what he did with the Nets this year, you know, like perimeter defenders are going to be shaky. And then the other one is just this team has a ton of star talent, but they have a ton of star talent that have health questions, and they don't really have – they don't have enough quality to handle absences. And, like, I mean, incidentally, the – Phoenix Suns were a part of honing this for me of the, you know, the team that makes it, whether it's to the finals or to win the finals is often the healthiest team in the mix. It's a lot easier to be the healthiest team in the mix when your stars aren't, two of your stars aren't in their thirties. And when, I mean, Booker has been dealing with this hamstring issue, like all three of their best players have some sort of material physical concern that make me uneasy that they will be able to go through that like two and a half month grinder. Absolutely, the health stuff is a concern. Um, you know, the one of the main takeaways from that Nets era was, oh, James and Kyrie and Kevin Durant, they only played like eight regular season games together. Some of that was because of Kyrie's nonsense, but some of the rest of it was because of health concerns for all three of those guys. Ultimately, they lose that series you're talking about against Milwaukee because of health concerns, right. not because of other nonsense, right? Um, I mean, for all of Kyrie's, you know, lack of availability and the and New York City mandate and all that stuff during that year, um, if he just stays healthy, you know, even if he just doesn't come down on Giannis's foot, they win that series. If Harden can give them a little bit more than he gave them in the last couple of games when he tried to come back on one leg, they win that series, right? So, um, and they possibly win that title, especially if all three of those guys stay healthy, they probably win that championship. So, um, it is a similar dynamic in Phoenix, no question about it. Chris Paul, I circle him because he's struggled with his size, especially in recent years, to hold up over the course of long series and then to hold up over the course of an entire postseason, right? Like, you just go back these last couple of years, game one, game two, Chris Paul is almost always better than game five, game six, game seven, Chris Paul, right? And in almost all of those series. Um, he did have a great closeout game against New Orleans last year where, like, he couldn't miss a shot, but that was sort of the exception, not the rule. So, um if you don't have Chris, you know, at least you have campaign, like you have a, a plug and play option there, but they cannot afford to not have Booker or Durant. Like those guys are just absolute, you know, must have, they have to be capable of playing 40 plus minutes every single night in the playoffs for these guys to actually win the title this year. And what could happen is, you know, they could wind up becoming a destination this summer. You know, Brooklyn was a destination um, for the Blake Griffins and the uh, LaMarcus Aldridge's of the world, uh, you know, before things turned sour. It's possible that they'll be able to get some veteran reinforcements, uh, you know, uh, bargain basement type things uh, as, as they're going forward into future years because it's a desirable market. You've got KD. He's got some juice. People like Booker. Like, you, you could see them being able to fill out their depth a little bit next year and going forward. But, uh, you know, for the time being, especially for this particular playoff run, they have to have good health. And they do have more risk on that front than most of the other teams who are above them right now in the Western Conference standings. 
I could see the Suns being a buyout destination this year. The challenge is there aren't buyout players that really fit into this like kind of closing five idea or like viable even if you like as an injury replacement to do that so that's it's a lot to ask and so you're right that the offseason is a better chance to do it the, the well it can end the sun sections of this pod with a very basic question for you that nate asked me on our pod if you were running if you were running the suns if you were the sole decider there would you have done this move and if you were the sole decider for brooklyn would you have done this move well, uh, I would definitely have done it from the Suns' perspective for a couple of reasons. First of all, the sole decider showed up on day one and wanted to make a splash. You know, <laughs> it's a very unique circumstance. And if you're giving me a legitimate chance to trade for Kevin Durant on my first day on the job, um, I don't know how I'm going to be able to resist that. Right? I mean, that's pretty tough, right? Especially if you're not giving up, uh, you know, Aiton uh, in that trade package, and it winds up being Cam Johnson and Bridges. Like, yeah, I, I feel like I have to do it, even if it's a lot of draft assets, right? Um, so I think it's a clear yes um, if you're Phoenix, in part because they've never won a title before. They're backsliding from their recent peak of the 2021 finals, and um, it's such a clean fit, you know. So I think for all of those reasons, you know, the timing makes sense. This idea, if it pays off with the championship, you know, you're goaded for life, you know. Like if you're the owner and Barkley couldn't do it, Kevin Johnson couldn't do it, Tom Chambers, and these different eras of Suns basketball have never gotten over the hump, there's a real chance that we're crowning them in June. And, like, it's, it's not like a 2% chance, right? It's definitely better than that. So that's another reason why I wouldn't have been able to resist it. I think, uh, and, and in part because of KD's being under contract, right? And, and sure. wanting a stable home and having the confidence that that's who you are in Phoenix, right? Like, you could be a place where KD can kind of, like, quote-unquote, grow old. And I feel like that's, uh, you know, it's a culture fit, too. So I would feel good about that. From Brooklyn's standpoint, I think I would have done this trade, and I, I think the main thing is you just could not let Kyrie Irving be the main decider in your organization. And they should have reached that conclusion way long ago, but they didn't. But if this idea was like, well, you could keep Kevin Durant if you have to give Kyrie Irving a four-year max extension and everybody's happy and they kind of roll forward and that's the plan, I would not have been able to sign up for that. I would have been done with Kyrie Irving for good this season, no matter what, um, if I hadn't been able to trade him in, in past years. And so if Kyrie Irving costs you Kevin Durant, so be it. You know, you have to try to get back. And if you can get all those draft picks and at least save a little bit of faith and, you know, try to go forward with, a, you know, a, a healthier internal culture, then I eventually would have had to say yes on that deal. But I think that there was opportunities well before this year for the Brooklyn Nets to kind of get things right. They, they should have fired Steve Nash after that playoff exit last year. They didn't. Um, and they should have, uh, you know, potentially considered keeping James Harden instead of Kyrie Irving when James Harden was upset last year. There was just other crossroad moments for Brooklyn to be able Wait, to salvage things. Just, just to jump in there, do you think that trading Kyrie Irving would have been enough to keep James Harden? Uh, look, it's speculation. You know, it's, it's obviously a hypothetical, but I think it was time to have a hard conversation with Kevin Durant and James Harden and everybody else last year as soon as Kyrie Irving was sent home for the anti-vaccination stuff, right? Because at that point, it's like the, the whole dynamic of Katie and, and uh, Kyrie as friends you know, just going forward and they were going to try to do it together has already been compromised by Kyrie Irving's choice. And I would have said, well, of these three players, he's the least valuable. If you trade him or even just dump him in a trade, um, you can win a title with KD and James Harden together. They played at such a high level together in the previous season. I would have tried to go that direction and force Kyrie out earlier uh, 
than just agree to dump, uh, you know, James Harden in a trade and get back the worst contract in the league in Ben Simmons. That just felt like a, a crippling decision last year. I was critical of it when it happened. And I was saying at the time, like, Kyrie is the weakest link here, not James. James is quitting because Kyrie is such a wild card and he screwed up the culture. Try to make it right with James and see if you can go forward with that group. And I would rather pay James his contract than pay Kyrie another contract, too. I think that's no, a no brainer, right? He, so, yeah, I, that's what I'm saying is I think that there was other moments previously for Brooklyn to avoid this current predicament where essentially Kyrie cost them Kevin. And, um, you know, once you got back into that corner, I think it was the right move to make this trade. Also, one last thing before I move on from the Suns. I am sympathetic in a very basic human way to Kevin Durant that, like, all he's wanted to do is play basketball and the situation, the situation has not per- permitted that. However, it is very, very limited because he is the one who chose the person he teamed up with and the situation. And so it's sort of like, and yes, we didn't know the full scope of what would happen from Kyrie Irving, but we had also seen him to that point burn bridges with two franchises and plenty of other stuff. And I'm sure, I'm sure, you know, like there, there's, there are probably things I don't know about as well, just because the human beings have far more to their lives than the public element of it. And so I'm sympathetic, but only to a point because this isn't a circumstance that he was thrust into. It's the choice that he made. Correct. Correct. Um, so I've had this long-standing take that Carmelo Anthony spent a lot of his prime kind of as a bystander to his own reality where sure. he w- he was just sort of like, all right, well, all these other things are kind of going on around me. I'm not really driving things. I'm stuck on this Knicks team that's never really going to get over the hump, and I'm just going to be okay with it. And Kevin was too much of a bystander once he got to Brooklyn and Kyrie was you know having uh, distractions and James was quitting. There wasn't enough forceful leadership from Kevin in some of those moments, and often he was asked about it and he would say that's not my job that's the front office's job that's ownership's job I'm just here to play you know I'm a hooper or whatever and you know to me that kind of felt like a cop out like there was an opportunity for him to be a uh, more of a unifying leader maybe similar to Steph Curry after the Draymond Green punch or you know you could think of uh, LeBron being a vocal leader towards Kevin Love telling him he's got to you know fit out or, or those kinds of moments right um, but Kevin Durant bears responsibility for the Brooklyn Nets failures uh, in part because this was a superstar-driven exercise from the beginning, right? He picked uh, Kyrie over Steph Curry and the Warriors. He picked the Nets over the Knicks and other possible landing spots. He picked DeAndre Jordan over Jared Allen at times. He picked James Harden over the package of guys they traded for him, uh, or at least he was a, you know, a part of these discussions and these conversations. And ultimately, he picked Kyrie as his partner over, you know, whatever other opportunities would have been available in 2019. So he cannot skirt um, that responsibility um, and those decisions. And I think we can safely say, like, you know, leaving the Warriors for the Nets when he did, how he did and with whom he did is the worst decision of his career, you know, and he's probably not going to feel that way. He's going to think like, I trusted a guy I liked and we had some good times, but um, they only won one playoff series in three plus years. Uh, they weren't going to win a title this year, even if they had stayed together. Uh, it was an incredible disappointment. It did a lot of damage to everybody's involved reputations. And uh, that's why I'm so excited for him to get kind of a clean slate to start over because there was nothing but bad stuff, uh, you know, going on in Brooklyn. And we were getting to the point where it was going to be pity time towards Kevin Durant if he stayed, right? It's like, Wow, it's the first time he hasn't had a real co-star since his rookie year in Seattle. 
when he was teaming up with Chris Wilcox, right? Because he always had Westbrook and Harden and Curry and Clay Thompson and Draymond Green. He was going to be the last guy at the party, and it was going to turn into a situation where we we felt bad for him. We started to have the same conversations we have with LeBron. It's like, oh, man, this guy's got no help, and you know he's not going anywhere, and it's such a shame he's not competing for titles. Nobody wants to have those conversations with all-time greats, and this is a real lifeline moment for KD to, to land in Phoenix. Particularly with all-time greats still able to impact the game as much as KD is. Lots more to discuss with Ben Golubra, but first a message from BetOnline.ag. BetOnline remains your number one source for all your Super Bowl betting this season. Get analysis of every play, prop, and point at BetOnline. You'll find the latest odds, team matchup information, player news, game trends at BetOnline. With betting options for everything from the National Anthem to the Halftime Show and even the Gatorade Bath, BetOnline is your Super Bowl headquarters this season. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to check out the most comprehensive Super Bowl information on the web, and use the code CLNS50 to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. So get in on all the betting action using that CLNS50 promo code at betonline.ag, where the game starts. Let's go to the the other now outgoing Brooklyn net. And I don't want to spend as much time on the Mavs as we did on the Suns. Are you a believer just purely on the court? We've already talked about off-court Kyrie in the context of everything else. How big a believer or non-believer are you in the Irving Luka Doncic fit on the court? Well, I'm, you know, a full believer on offense. Um, you know, Kyrie's played with guys like Luka and Luka has played with kind of lesser versions of Kyrie, especially Jalen Brunson. And, you know, it, People didn't talk enough about how good the pairing was between Luka and Jalen. Obviously, Jalen's had a great season this year, kind of on his own doing his thing, but those two guys were tough for teams to deal with last year together. It was a mutually beneficial partnership. And, you know, Kyrie, you kind of throw him on any court, anywhere, uh, on or off the ball, he's going to do what he does. So I I am a believer in those guys, especially offensively. Uh, But defensively, I'm not. You know, I'm coming back, talking to you, one night after watching the Milwaukee Bucks, and I got to say, the Milwaukee Bucks—they had five guys down in a defensive stance, playing pretty hard defense last night against like the Lakers B team. And it's been a while since I've seen you know teams with the kind of coordinated defensive intelligence and um, uh, intensity that the Bucks showed last night, especially in the second half. And a team like the Mavericks has no hope of even thinking of being able to conceive of getting into that ballpark of playing elite defense, right? Like, they don't care. Their main guys don't care. They don't have the personnel. They don't have the supporting pieces. It's not even, you know, part of their job description, uh, you know, is trying to be two-way guys. Their main guys are out there to get buckets. That's what they're going to do. You can't go far in the playoffs with that philosophy. You can win a series, but you're not going to go deep with that philosophy. And I think that Dallas's trade for Kyrie you know, to me, it's got to be done either with denial, you know, or an acknowledgement that, like, look, we're here for a good time, not a long time, right? We're, we're trying to put up points and get people excited and, and change the narrative about Luca has no help. Um, I don't think that anybody should be taking this seriously as a championship-worthy roster at this point. And maybe they can make some adjustments in the summer and going forward in the future. But uh, to me, you know, it's, it's not a substantial group. One big concern for me about the Mavs is that they don't have a defensive theory anymore. Like last year's team, 
they, <laughs> yeah. They could they could do some switching stuff, and yeah, Luca wasn't perfect in that. He could hold his own. You're not going to do that with Kyrie Irving. Like Kyrie Irving just doesn't handle it the same way. They also now just don't have the number of capable defenders. You know, so you have Reggie Bullock, but you don't have Dorian Finney-Smith. Boxacleba is thankfully somehow coming back from this hamstring issue after the All-Star break. I have no idea how that's able to happen. And then you don't have the players on the back end who can clean it up. You know, like Christian Wood, Dwight Powell, JaVale McGee. Like, that's not the way to do it. So you can't really run a switch scheme. You can't really want to drop. You can't really – I mean, maybe you try some, like – hedge and recover, switch double, maybe do some stuff more like what Denver has done in a couple of years, but they don't really have the personnel for that either. It's going to be a challenge, and... Oh, Danny, how many guys do you have to hide in the playoffs with their best group, right? I mean, you gotta hide Luka, you gotta hide Kyrie, I mean, Christian Wood, like, he's so tall you can't really hide him, but, you know, he's not... He's not good. You got to hide a lot of their best players in an ideal situation where you want to flank them with like multiple good defenders around each of those guys. And there's only so many people you can hide. Typically, you can hide one guy. They have to hide at least three. It's hard to it's hard to reconcile that. And so I I have very big questions. Like I, I understand the pressures that Mark Cuban, Nico Harrison, and company felt with everything that's happened and I'm not going to rehash the Jalen Brunson thing and everything else like that at this point but A there's the whole Kyrie the person element of it and we've we've discussed that separately and together ad nauseum so we can we can skip that for now but there's also the, the basketball fit the age the availability concerns and so to me what this ends up being it's like you put not all but many of your eggs in a really bizarre basket and so Luca wasn't going to ask out now. He wasn't. He may not ask out ever. Like even if the Mavericks are shaky, that might not be. He might not be that guy. We were. We'll, I give everybody the chance to make their own decisions, and I will support them in the decisions they make. But I think about generally the inflection point for a lot of these guys being probably about a year or two from when they can hit unrestricted free agency because that often is extension negotiations and everything else. And so by that point, Luca will have had some experience with Kyrie. They might have even had some sort of challenges or falling out by that point. And so you're sitting there going, well, what is this team now? And they were always going to run into issues with age. It was an underappreciated part of the Mavericks before this trade that they're, you know, a lot of their key players are on the wrong side of the age curve. And other than Josh Green and hopefully Jaden Hardy, they don't really have a lot of young dudes. But... I worry about where Dallas is two years from now. And when your star player, you know, unquestioned megastar MVP candidate is 23, you don't need to be like, it's the, it, you're not in Phoenix's situation. You don't have to be like, it's this year or nothing. Yeah, um, I think that it's instructive to look at the Giannis experience for why did he resign, right? Because that's sort of where Dallas is going. And with Giannis, it was, well, you know you're going to have Middleton. You know you like the city. Um, you know you've had some ownership that was at least willing to kind of like uh, go out there and grab a Drew Holiday. And you know you've been a consistent winner, um, you know, going relatively deep in the playoffs for multiple years, right? And ultimately, all those factors together kind of, uh, melded with Giannis's just sort of like basic sense of loyalty and made Milwaukee capable of keeping him, right? And and fending off years worth of rumors that he might try to leave. I, with Luca, as you're laying out, it's a much more complicated story, right? Well, Porzingis didn't work. Brunson didn't work. And not only did Brunson not work, well, Brunson worked, but Brunson didn't want to stay around for your prime, right? 
So those are interesting dynamics for Luca to have to reconcile in terms of like, well, how am I not getting along with my co-stars? It's very unlikely that the Kyrie pairing is going to work at a high level. So that starts this narrative of like, well, no matter what Dallas has tried, they pulled out all these stops, nothing has really worked, they haven't been able to get it done. And that's a really hard train to put back in the station, right? Now, if you also have issues with, you know, you're looking at your supporting cast and you're saying, well, we're just shallow. Like, we can't match up one to eight with everybody else in the conference. Like, that's when, again, a superstar starts to look around and says, well, I could be stuck here and not making progress for multiple years because we don't have a way to kind of upgrade our overall talent level now you start to look at well the front office is brand new right um you look at ownership group in terms of like uh, what's their success level like over these last 10 years in terms of grabbing big free agents um you know making other trades around the edges identifying talent and there's been a lot of disruption there between ownership and the front office over these last couple of years those are you know simmering red flags i think if you're trying to keep a superstar and to me they're a direct contrast to some of the stability that was going on in milwaukee that allowed them to appeal to Giannis. right there's also this factor that luca is a born showman who played for the highest profile club in europe before he came to um uh, the Dallas Mavericks with Real Madrid, a guy who is a national hero, a national icon in his home country, and who's always, you know, typically is going to want the best of the best. Uh, I can envision Luca being the heir apparent to LeBron James as a Laker. Like, it does, you don't have to really wrap your mind around. It's not that difficult to imagine that vision of him just like putting on a show every single night in front of celebrities in Los Angeles and him having a great time doing that. And so I think for Dallas, I felt like the Kyrie thing was a desperate move, but I understood it because if I was in Mark Cuban's position, I would already be panicking. The Jalen Brunson thing would have sent me in a direction where I was like, oh my God, um, that's a, a terrible loss of talent for absolutely no return. Uh, we have got to you know, overcompensate here and get him whatever help we can and kind of hope because the clock is ticking. And to me, that's the calculation that they made. That's what it looks like from the outside. We'll see where it goes, and uh, there's a, a, lot, a lot of really good insight there. And should Luca want to look at that, the other he will be another Im- really important delineation clarification on wh- how how these sorts of shifts happen. Because for a long time, especially when the extension system was broken, it like Kevin Durant. You know, we talked about a lot earlier. It was you know just do it in free agency. But Kevin Durant now could be the bellwether in terms of it being. Well, even if you sign that long-term contract, even if you get your money lined up, you can still get out of there with, you know, the right the right little nudges at the right time. And like Kevin Durant, he did, you know, a trade demand in the summer. He did more of, it seems like, a nudge this time. And so that's going to be a key thing to watch as we move forward and as we get close to there's going to be yeah. a new CBA, there's going to be a new TV deal is what do star players value? How do they sign their contracts? Do they hit free agency? Correct. And so there's a couple ways that Luca could leave Dallas, right? I mean, I think uh, the most likely way is, you know, he, and this is hypothetical, it's speculation, right? So you could wait until the end of his current contract, you know, basically do a LeBron-like decision where every single team in the league wants him uh, or, you know, and that's one option, but we haven't really seen that uh, recently. What we have seen, though, is stars of his magnitude be able to pretty much dictate if they want to trade, they can almost dictate where they want 
want to go. KD was able to. James Harden was able to. And the market has become efficient enough where the teams who trade them don't feel like they're getting completely screwed because they're getting a lot of assets back in those trades, right? Where, yes, it might be, um, you know, three quarters or 60 cents on the dollar, but it's not zero cents when a guy just leaves in free agency, uh, you know, like Kevin did uh, from Oklahoma City to Golden State. And that gives some level of motivation for their current teams to be willing to kind of accede to the trade request, the trade demand, uh, because that's just kind of how the business has evolved. I think that the new um, CBA here is a wild card that will affect a lot of star players, because as we saw in 2016 with the cap spike, if the cap goes up noticeably, even if it's not a full one-year spike, even if it just increases substantially, that creates a lot of potential team-up scenarios. And the smart players and the smart agents are going to be ahead of that, and they're going to be thinking, okay, well, where can we go have a landing spot? Where is there going to be enough extra you know, uh, flexibility to maybe bring in Luca and another star guy because you're able to use the extra cap space to kind of facilitate the influx of all of that salary. And that's another reason why I would be completely paranoid if I was the Dallas Mavericks <laughs> because their ability to, you know, bring guys in like that um, has been non-existent, you know, going all the way back to like Dirk's prime, you know, the, the biggest free agency moves they've made have been relatively small by comparison to some of these moves that other organizations are able to make. And so, you know, if you're Luca and you're thinking, what are my options? Like, well, I can go be a Laker and I can join another star because, you know, there's a, a inflated salary cap that's going to make room for both of us. That, start, that starts to sound pretty good. And again, that's just a hypothetical. I'm not saying, oh yeah, I'm reporting he's going to be a Laker. I'm not saying that. It's just it's a much realer threat that's going to exist for the Dallas Mavericks. And I, I again, I think that those kinds of conditions help explain why they felt the desperation right now. It's a lot to take in and we'll, we'll know significantly more. It's people will say, oh, you got to wait another couple of years. No, nah, I, th- I would say one year from today, we will we'll have very clear knowledge of what the CBA rules and regulations are, but we'll also have a much clearer idea of what the next national TV contract is going to look like. We may even have an idea about expansion by that point. And so the we'll know things ahead of time. And I mean, for one, one clear signpost here, potentially for me, is Miles Turner, where like Turner wanted two years. There's a He wanted two years, new money, not one. And just so happens that that means he's going to be unrestricted in 2025, which seems like the, seems like the target year. And so... Those sorts of decisions, those sorts of contracts for players of all stripes, but especially elite talent, is going to be so definitive. Well, Bet- Diddy, Go ahead. explain exactly why why he wants to do that. Because what what lesson did people learn from last time? If you were in the right class versus one year late. Well, how big of a difference was it? You brought up Carmelo Anthony before. I think this is the mistake that Carmelo Anthony made. So Carmelo Anthony. From what we can tell, I'm not going to look into, I don't can't peer into his heart. He's never said anything publicly about this. He chose with the Knicks and everything else. And it's part of what inspired the uh, the extended trade rules that exist in current CBA, in current CBA, is he got traded, but then he wanted the longest deal possible. Whereas for understandable reasons, guys like LeBron James and Dwayne Wade, they wanted to become a free agent in 2010 when it looked like there was going to be, there was a new influx of money. And so things like the salary cap would change. And so the reason you do that, there are a couple of them. One is because the max contracts are built as a percentage of the salary cap for the first year. And then you build raises off that initial salary. If there's a, whether it's a spike like there was in 16 or just a bump like there was in 2020, then 
you're getting a high you're getting the same proportion of a higher cap so there's there's more money that can come from that that's only one part of it and i think miami is so instructive for the second part which i think is more important here which is that when things rise more quickly than normal that opens up additional flexibility and even if the star players get a higher portion of the cap everybody else's salaries are relatively smaller. So you could think about player X, Y, or Z. They're under contract for $19 million. Well, $19 million feels a lot different on a $130 million cap than it does on 175. And so not only can you do the star team-ups where everyone's a free agent, like what Miami did, you could also theoretically see one where they're like one team has a foundation and then you add somebody else. And that's what the Warriors did with Kevin Durant. Like, But all of those avenues are available depending on what the team's books are like and the salary construction you could also even follow the model of paul george and Kawhi leonard where they didn't have enough cap space for both but they were able to make the make the trade and everything else and so the additional flexibility the relative devaluing of existing contracts make it a lot easier for teams to have a to like it, it's not a it's not a linear thing it's more it's more like a like a log function that you can just the ceilings can get so much higher if the players are on board, if the agents are on board, and if the teams are on board. Right. And so, you know, I think the, the good parallel to the, you know, 2016 is the idea that we started to hear rumblings and rumors that the Warriors were maybe going to be able to make a run at Kevin Durant. And it seemed laughable at the time, right? You know, everybody's like, oh, you know, it would never happen. It's too, like, pie in the sky. But the Warriors were kind of positioned in a way where they're like, all right, well, we're going to be able to actually have a mechanism to bring on Kevin Durant and a, ma- a massive contract for him without necessarily needing to sacrifice any of our core pieces. So I think not only are players going to be preparing in advance of the next possible spike or jump uh, in terms of, okay, we want to line our contracts up the right way so we can have flexibility. But you're going to see teams, especially aggressive teams, you know, teams that are trying to land superstars and be in the mix for the biggest possible players are going to be taking a page out of the Warriors book and making sure that they're ready and prepared. Because my recollection of it was that everybody was kind of blindsided, that the Warriors actually pulled it off and that a lot of other teams hadn't really completely thought through, um, you know, the, the possibility possible benefits of the cap spike and then what they wound up doing is just spending like drunken sailors on players who didn't really deserve it because all of a sudden they had all this money right and so i think there's going to be some shrewd teams that look at what the warriors did with kd and say all right well how can we be the next team to do that once the cap goes up and uh, again if you're a team that doesn't have its ducks in a row and has a massive you know franchise you know altering type talent like luka Doncic. That's going to have you backed into a corner. That's going to have you really, really nervous. I'm going to give you three franchises that I'm not saying they have the star talent. I'm not saying they get anything else that have very little on their books for 2025, 26. And also like, and sometimes in certain cases, the money they have is relatively good. The LA Clippers, the Los Angeles Lakers, and now the Brooklyn Nets. Basically... All, How coincidental, Danny. <laughs> the three, you know, large market teams that always want to be superstar landing pads. How coincidental. Yeah. And and Nick, the Knicks do have commitments, but a lot of their commitments are totally reasonable. So like, for example, they have Jalen Brunson has a twenty $25 million player option. A, he's going to decline that. B, like if you needed to move Jalen Brunson, if let's say he opts in, if you needed to move him at that price, presuming there's not a severe injury, you could. And that's the other part of this. I mean, I, I think back to this a lot. I'm I, I'm guessing you and I probably talked about this offline, that like the biggest single mistake that has happened during the tenure that I've covered the league and been a CBA person is that none of the major markets around 2016, like not counting the Warriors, I mean the LA and New York teams, um, 
there was this stretch right around when Kevin Durant hit free agency where there was a huge advantage to having cap space if you were a big market, and just all of them were so poorly run that they never capitalized. Some it was because they thought they were good enough and so they weren't going to roll it, and then with other ones, they were just, like the Knicks, were just run poorly. And the possibility, because of the professionalization that has happened with the Clippers, most notably, and then potentially, like, I want to see what Sean Marks, how Sean Marks handles this and everything else. And then the Knicks are, their Knicks, I would say they're better run overall than they've been at most of the time in the past. It's like, that should be so much scarier for everyone else because the reason why, like, the, the big shadow, like, kind of, like, the NBA is all about, the CBA is all about unintended consequences. And the one that doesn't get talked about that much, other than when Durant signed and some of the stuff with LeBron is, Individual maximum salaries are a huge competitive advantage for the most desirable markets because you the actual salary you get paid doesn't change around. So then you're choosing on other factors. And those other factors can be where you want to live, what you want to do. And it's a lot easier to have a superstar team up in a place like that because that's what the other people want too. Yeah, correct. I mean, and when I let me ask you, let me phrase it this way. When you're looking at guys who are like under 25 right now and your wheels start turning about who could be a player who makes a Durant like move to the Warriors once the new TV money's in, once, you know, the new CBA is set and all that. Is there anybody besides Luca that pops to your mind? Like, I feel like it's Luca with a bullet on that list. Maybe I don't know. Maybe I'm overthinking it just because uh, we're in the mix. Of, you know, we're right in the midst of our post Kyrie Irving trade analysis. But like, his name just jumps right out to me. Is there anybody else who does for you? If the contract situations were different, John Morant could be one. Um, I don't know what he values. I mean, he grew up in South Carolina. Does he care about the big markets? And the big question with Luca is also: we've seen the European players generally be a little bit more sticky you know like that that you know like with with Jokic and Giannis but we're dealing with such a small sample here that we don't know whether that's predictive like we just know that's how things have been so far so there aren't that many players who are that good who are that young the other one though that I will circle and bold for right now happens to have a player option in 2025 Jason Tatum Interesting. Yeah, I was thinking, um, like, let's say the Celtics win the title this year. You know, that kind of opens up the door for, like, a Jalen Brown potentially to go have his own team, right? If he wanted to do something like that, where he just cashes out some massive contract. He's the face of his organization. He leaves on good terms because he's won the title. And, you know, there's not, like, unfinished business. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they've got an awful lot of young talent there in Boston. And, and uh, as long as they keep winning, I think they're going to be better positioned to retain it than, uh, you know, a few these other teams the other element of that is the third contract which is what tatum is going to have next it's what jalen brown's going to have next that's when a player's choice really comes into play that can be that can be valuing financial security no problem with that that's what i brought up with carmelo anthony that's what he did it can be maximizing where you want to live your the quality of the teammates that you play with all of those different things and and the only thing that's wrong there is not being true to yourself and so you could go through like that's when kevin durant left for the warriors that's when lebron went to miami and so as much as people want to ascribe the team quality right now what the all the players saying great things about the city well the you don't actually put that money on the table until you hit your third contract and so with these young guys, especially in some ways with the ascendance of of this young group with like Shea Gildress Alexander and some of these other guys, it's like, well, they're going to, they're getting good young. And so we're, I mean, Darius Garland will eventually be in this boat. Donovan Mitchell, Donovan Mitchell also has a player option in 2025, just, just coincidentally. And so I, I, I think that those, 
decisions are A, more nuanced and more wide open than the average person thinks. And that doesn't always mean they're going to leave. That just means they could be deciding it all with a different set of priorities. Well, and a different playing field. I think that's the key point, right? Like, you know, they're, they're going to have some flexibility and some options to team up and some landing pad teams that might not exist today and might not exist in a normal cap environment. Sorry, I don't want to interrupt except I just thought of this. You know what happens right before the 2025 offseason? What's that? The 24 Olympics. Oh, perfect. Oh, so everybody could team up uh, in the 24 Olympics and uh, was that Paris? Um, yeah, guaranteed. Guaranteed, we will see at least one pairing, if not trio, coming directly from interactions at that Olympics. Well, so Luca's got to get himself like uh, some sort of uh, you know security credential so he can go hang out with the USA team, you know, so he can figure out exactly who is he who's he going to team up. Well, with. no, what he needs he needs to get a teammate. He needs to get a teammate on the US team so he just hangs out with them. And so it'd be like, oh, I'm spending time with Player X, and you're actually just making new connections. That sounds a little bit like treason for whoever that teammate would be, but it would be understandable given these. <laughs> um, we're about ready to go, but I just want to open it up to you. Anything else that really stood out to you at the deadline? Well, I wanted to ask you about the Warriors because um, we usually talk about them. What did you make of cutting the cord with Wiseman? What did you make of his landing spot in Detroit? And is he going to be one of these guys who we just never hear from again? Um, you know, has he already made it to that stage of his career? Sort of, you know, I jokingly call him Marvin Bagley the fourth uh, <laughs> because of all the parallels between uh, him and Marvin Bagley the third. But, you know, it's been a challenging and pretty quiet uh, second act for Marvin Bagley in Detroit. What do you think is uh, on the horizon for Wiseman? And what do you think of the Warriors' decision making? It is a pretty striking admission of a mistake because they they didn't get a whole lot for him. And you could argue two mistakes because they let Gary Payton go. They th- theoretically could have signed him to the ex- to ba- a very similar contract to the one that Portland did, and it seems like they chose not to. They got DiVincenzo. That's all fine. And for Wiseman. I'm more optimistic, like if you're comparing him to Bagley, I first of all, I was higher on him as a prospect, but also, like Wiseman, the reason things haven't worked out as well, part of it is just he hasn't been as good of a player when he's been on the floor, but also it's been absences due to injuries and everything else. And so I'm less optimistic that he can be a star than I was originally, and I had him second. I had him below LaMelo, but above Anthony Edwards. I, of course, regret that positioning, even if you want to give this latitude that I'm giving. But... He, Detroit is a weird situation because they have the motivation. Troy Weaver obviously loves James Wiseman to give him that, but they also have Jalen Duran, and I don't think they should play those guys together. So it's basically like he's going to have an opportunity, and if Wiseman plays well enough, then he will have plenty of opportunity moving forward. But th- that opportunity is more has more strings attached than like. I don't know if we, even if we want to go to, you know, like some of the players in the last couple of years, like Jalen Green right now in Houston, like Jalen Green has a lot more latitude than James Wiseman's going to have. So I, I think he's going to end up being, you know, whether it's a, whether it's a solid starter or a capable reserve depends on just how he plays from this point. But the, and, and I'd love to be wrong. I'd love for that star potential that I, that I saw back then to actually come to fruition. I just, so, but so I think he'll be a player. I think he'll be somebody that that gets that has more on his name than just draft bust, but not the full redemption arc that some that that rarely, but some guys do get that. I hope that he gets that. I'm I'm nervous that it's going to be um, 
kind of just this quiet little decline here. I mean, not maybe not as dramatic as a Jaleel Okafor type situation, but um, maybe you know, more I, like Nerlens. Yeah, yeah. Okay. No, I mean, if he has a Nerlens Noel career, um, you know, minus the lawsuit with Rich Paul, I think that's that's a good target for him. You know, and I feel like that would be um, that would be redemptive in a way. So I, I hope that that happens because um, he's been through a lot these last couple of years. I totally understood Golden State's decision making rationale from a financial standpoint. If you only could keep keep one, him or Gary Payton, I mean, obviously you'd, you'd pick Payton um, if you're trying to win a title this year. So. Um, I think, uh, you know, whether Peyton can stay healthy and kind of get back to how he was last year is a question for Golden State, but um, they got a bigger problem right now in terms of getting Curry back on the court and keeping him healthy. So um, I guess it's an acceptable amount of risk, uh, you know, in, in making that deal. That's true. Well, thank you so much for taking time. It was a ton of fun as always. Oh, my pleasure, Danny. Great chatting. Um, have a great uh, stretch run. Hopefully I'll see you in the playoffs soon. Thanks again to Ben Golver for taking the time to come on. You can read his excellent work at the Washington Post. You can also read his book, Bubble Ball, which is great. And you can check out the Greatest of All Talk podcast that he does with Andrew Sharp. It's always a lot of fun there as well. You can also follow Ben, if you don't already, on Twitter at Ben Golliver, B-E-N-G-O-L-L-I-V-E-R. Love having him on. And if you want to support the show, there are a lot of different ways you can do it. You can subscribe, download episodes in whatever podcast player you want. It can be Spotify, Apple, wherever, whatever you want to use, um, because Real GM Radio is never going to come out on a specific day of the week. That's just not the way this is going to work. You can also help other people find the show. That is leaving a rating and review in the podcast player of your choice, word of mouth, social media, however you want to do it. If you want to help other people find the show, much appreciated. The single most important thing you can do for this show and any other that has them is to check out our sponsors, betonline.ag. Use the CLNS50 promo code to tell them you came from us and to get that 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit, which is really nice. You can also check out my other work, Dunked on, dunked on Prime. We did a ton of content, as you would expect, over the last week. We did three separate recordings within, I think, about 16 hours because of the Lakers, Jazz, Wolves three-way trade, then the Kevin Durant trade, and then the trade deadline primer. I think in total, it was over four hours of content. Wouldn't surprise me if it was significantly beyond that. And then you can also check out the NBA strategy stream. We are actually going to take a little bit of time. Um, We'll be back after the All-Star break, but we should be back with a really fun one. It's Magic Pacers. I believe that's on the Saturday, like the 25th or something like that. We'll, of course, send tweets out and all that fun stuff. Also, written work at The Athletic. I have a team-by-team cap space projection that should be coming out on either Sunday or Monday, depending on editorial. That should be very useful to people. It was good to wrap my brain around just where every team was at that point, or is, I guess is probably the better better term there. And if you have any feedback on the show, good, bad, or indifferent, NBA at gmail.com is the way to get it to me. If you take the time to write it, I will take the time to read it. That is an absolute promise. Not the greatest at getting back, especially as we're heading into the All-Star break, but I will do my absolute, I, I will try. That is, that is the promise that I make. The promise I make is to read. And that is enough for now. So thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day.